I'm going to ask that you turn with me, if you will, to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. And the title of our challenge here this morning is Dealing with Disappointment, Help for Today, Fuel for a Victorious Tomorrow. You know, as we are thinking about 2023, we oftentimes begin the year with what? New Year's resolutions. Resolutions are a wonderful thing, right? And as we look back on the previous year, we reflect on all it was that we did, all of the ways in which we failed, and we look ahead to the new year and say all of the ways in which we hope to do better. And you know, as I look back on my year, as I reflect on 2022, I, I can think about a lot of disappointments, a lot of ways in which my life came up short, a lot of things in which I look at and I say, wow, I, I really dropped the ball there. And you know, as I, I roll into this new year, I want to do better. Disappointments are a part of life. And I want to start off here this morning with asking a really dumb question. Have any of you ever dealt with disappointment? <laughs> Disappointments are a part of life. All of us from the youngest child to the oldest saint most certainly has dealt with disappointment at one point or another in their lives. And if you're old enough to have expectations, you certainly have felt the bitter sting of disappointment. You know, when I was 13 years old, my birthday always fell in December, December 15th. That's my birthday, right before Christmas. Mom and dad used to always say, oh, we're going to, instead of doing two presents this year, we're going to do one big present. And the, the, the big present always fell slightly short of what I was hoping for as a young kid. And I remember one birthday very specifically with my mom and dad, where, you know, I, I was dropping hints throughout the year. We lived up in northern Wisconsin, tons of land at our disposal, trails, backwoods. It was the boy's dream, okay? So, so I could go off for hours, disappear, get into all sorts of mischief, but I was far enough into the woods that my mischief didn't affect anybody but put my own life in danger. But as a kid, I remember one birthday specifically where I was dropping hints left and right. As a young boy up north, all of the kids that I hung out with had motorbikes, and they loved going out on their motorbikes. They'd hit the trails, they'd, they'd go off into the woods, they'd do all sorts of things. And I, I just remember telling my mom and dad, I really want a motorbike for my birthday. And I was a young kid, I'm thinking, oh, that's reasonable, right? Crazy expensive. My folks, though, my dad was notorious for this. He did a Fantastic job of building up the expectations and then dashing them on the right. No, I love my dad. I have a great relationship with him. But my dad was like, well, you never know. Your birthday's coming. <laughs> and as a little kid, I built it up into my, into my heart, right? You, you get that anticipation. And you're hoping and you're praying and you're trusting that everything's going to work out. I even, I even found a motorbike that was for sale from a friend of mine, and I told my dad about it, and he just kept saying, well, you never know. My birthday comes. We ate the cake. We sang the songs. We blew out the candles. We did all of the fun things that you do on your birthday. You tear into those presents, and you're super excited, and 
You're like, yeah, I'm probably not going to get it. But then, at the very end, mom and dad said, you have one more present. One more present. I'm like, where is it? It's outside. I'm like, oh, could it be? I remember racing. We lived in a little apartment upstairs. I remember racing down the stairs out of this apartment, flying out the front door, burning around the building like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And I ran back upstairs. I'm like, guys, it's not out there. I, I don't know where it is. They're like, Mike, you ran right past it. I'm like, what? You ran right past it. It was outside, right by the door. And I went back downstairs, opened the door, and there sat this Ace Hardware, probably what, four-foot plastic red sled. I was crushed. I was so disappointed. I did not get the motorbike. Yeah, the sled is cool. That's great and all, but I didn't get the motorbike. Disappointments are a part of life, right? We tell our kids all the time, get used to disappointments. People are going to let you down. You're going to let yourself down. Life is going to let you down. Get used to disappointments. They're a part of life. And maybe as you look back on all of 2022, maybe it was chock full of disappointments for you. Failures, defeats, heartaches. Maybe disappointments in your marriage. Maybe you found yourself in a place in your marriage that you never thought you'd be, using words that you never thought you'd use. Things you promised would never define you are now taking hold of your heart and ripping it out and defeating you. Maybe it's disappointments in your career. You know, you expected this, this job was going to be more than a paycheck. You were looking forward to it with eager anticipation only to find that this last year fell hopelessly short of all that you'd been setting yourself up for. Maybe disappointments in your achievements. Maybe disappointment in your kids' achievements. This was a rough year for school. <laughs> Grades, sports. Maybe there's disappointments in your parenting. You look at the way you were with your kids and you say, wow, I raised my voice way more than I ever wanted to. Man, 2022 revealed a whole lot of anger pouring out of my heart, crushing me, flesh battles, struggles, bitterness, failures to forgive. Maybe it's disappointments in your own walk with God. You know, living for Jesus was never meant to be this hard. And you look back on 2022 and you're crushed under the weight of that disappointment. Maybe disappointments in leadership. Political failures, pastoral failures, personal failures in your own shortcomings as a leader. Maybe disappointments in relationships. People you love dearly let you down, broke your heart, ripped it right out of your chest and stomped on it. Perhaps they continue to let you down. You find yourself in this place of discouragement. Disappointments are a part of life. They, in fact, are one of the bitter elements that God sovereignly uses in his recipe for good in your life. God is doing a work in you through the bitter pain and the bitter sting of disappointment. Truth is, you cannot have the sweet without first learning to savor the bitter 
There are two primary categories of disappointments that all of us face. People and circumstances, right? And how we deal with disappointments could be the difference between thriving and failure in this coming year. How we deal with disappointments, how we think about failure, how we embrace these shortcomings, and how we move forward in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ. Jeremiah in the Old Testament was no stranger to disappointment. It was a familiar friend to him. In fact, he knew disappointments to such a degree that he was referred to as a weeping prophet. He was a weeping prophet, and it wasn't because he was a crybaby. It wasn't because of his frail consistency, but, but because of the deep vexation of his soul that came at the hand of a people whom he loved dearly. They broke his heart. Lamentations is perhaps one of the more understudied and underappreciated books in the Old Testament, likely for a few reasons. One, it was written by a prophet. To be honest, the writings of the prophets scare us as students of the word. We don't rapidly gravitate towards the prophets. I will say the more I dig into the prophets, the more I come to love and appreciate their writings. We find their subject matter difficult to swallow sometimes. You know, reading through Isaiah can sometimes be a slow slog <laughs> as you go through chapter after chapter after chapter of woe to Egypt, woe to Moab, woe to, and you go through the nations and all of the ways in which God is preparing to bring the smackdown. We oftentimes find the tone of the prophet's oppressively dark. That's how it feels sometimes as we're reading. And we generally see the imagery is difficult to understand. So, so you look at a book like Lamentations written by a prophet, maybe you shun it for that reason. But it's also a collection of poems. Poems are difficult sometimes for us. Poems are emotional. In fact, poetry, according to William Wordsworth, who's a famous poet, defined poetry as the spontaneous overflow of powerful feelings. I love that description. The spontaneous overflow of powerful feelings. And if we're honest, emotions can make us feel uncomfortable as they force us to feel. Jeremiah's poetry in the book of Lamentations is no different. It's deeply emotional. But not only that, it was written during a confusing time in Israel's history. Jeremiah lived during the reign of Josiah. We all know who Josiah was. And he had seen firsthand the truth of 2 Chronicles 7.14 lived out. Where the author wrote, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... Will I hear from heaven? Then will I forgive their sin and then will I heal their land. Josiah led the nation of Judah through this amazing reformation, top to bottom. And as, and as Judah's great reformer sought to steer this sinking ship back to Yahweh, Jeremiah also witnessed the faithless hearts of God's people returning to the perilous fate that they had just been rescued from, like a dog returns to its own sick. And it made his stomach turn. It wrenched his heart right out of his chest. As the son of Hilkiah the priest, Jeremiah knew the word. He loved 
the word. He desired to see the people of God devoted to it once again and and to its life-giving words because they were the very words of the Almighty God. Why would you not love this? Why would you not embrace this? And as Josiah faded into memory, his great age of spiritual reformation died with him. Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his place for three months before being deposed to Egypt. And while deposed in Egypt, the king of Egypt made Eliakim, his brother, king in Judah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And the scripture says that Jehoiakim did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and as a result, God would judge his people by carrying them away to Babylon in 597 BC. So so Jeremiah is this prophet in the midst of all of this incredibly difficult stuff that's going on. People who he loved were failing him. The nation who he had given his life in serving was being carried away into captivity, and he was a mess. He was struggling. And as Babylon sacked Jerusalem, they took the best and the brightest into captivity. Some of them you probably remember, guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the best and the brightest were taken into captivity. And what they left was the feeble, the weak, to wallow in the decimation of defeat. And Jeremiah was among those that were left behind. His heart was vexed. And as he reflected on what was and what could have been, his heart was heavy. It was rife with disappointment, with powerful feelings. And out of that overflow, he penned the book of Lamentations. And in the midst of such powerful feelings, where did he turn? To what did Jeremiah fix his heart? This is our text this morning. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. I'm going to read it. Follow along in your Bibles if you would. He writes this. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You know, as we look at this text, we're going to see a strategy for dealing with disappointment. This strategy, though often overlooked due to its simplicity, when embraced, it it will, in the face of disappointment, most certainly lead to a victorious 2023. And that's what we want, right? A victorious 2023. What's at the heart of this strategy? Well, the first thing that we see Jeremiah calling us to is very simple. Think rightly. Think rightly. Verse 21. But this I call to mind. But this I call to mind. I love conjunctions. Conjunctions join. Conjunctions interrupt the flow. Conjunctions are a beautiful piece of the English language. If you don't love English, shame on you. Amen, Dan? Yep. English teacher. English major. 
They interrupt the current. And in this text, the current interrupted is a stream of deep sorrow and grief that Jeremiah is feeling due to Israel's present plight. And in the midst of this deep grief, he reminds us of the urgency of mooring our hearts to unshakable truth. But this I call to mind. The challenge is so simple. Think rightly. Think rightly. Get your head in the game. Anchor your heart to that which gives life. Remain steadfast in the midst of deep disappointment. Do not let go of the reality of what God is doing. Have your heart dominated by truth. And what truth? What truth is it that's going to carry us through the disappointment into the new year? What truth? Well, first truth, God ordained this situation for his glory and your greatest good. Look back on 2022. I challenge you, look back on 2022 and list out all of the things that God brought into your life and purpose now to say, you know what? Yes, I failed in my marriage. Yes, I failed in my parenting. Yes, I did not live up to all of the things that I wanted to live up to. But you know what? God has ordained that in my life for the purpose of making me more like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, my favorite passage in scripture. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to, to those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is doing a work in your life. And if you're looking at your, your past year and you're tempted to despair, praise God for the ways in which he's moving. Thank him for it. Recognize that he's ordained this situation. You know, when I think about this whole concept, I think about food. That's one of my failures in 2022. I ate like a pig. One of my resolutions for 2023, don't eat like a pig. There you go. But you know, when I think of food, I think of cookies. My mom used to make chocolate chip cookies, and I loved mom's chocolate chip cookies. Someone said delicious. There you go. Amazing cookies, right? You know, but, but if you're hanging around the kitchen as a little kid, you're going to see a lot of little ingredients that go into the chocolate chip cookies. Is everything that goes into the cookies delicious, bakers? Any kids brave enough to take a mouthful of vanilla extract? Yes. Hey, right? No, no, no. I'm not asking do you want it, Gage. I'm saying have you had it? Yeah, oh, you have. Okay, it's not good. Cocoa powder, you think cocoa powder makes these cookies taste like chocolate. So a spoonful of cocoa powder has to be amazing, right? Ugh. Horrible, okay? So, but you think of all of these ingredients. Now, the sugar I can handle, the brown sugar, the chocolate chips. I want to eat the chocolate chips. And I would do that as a little kid. But I would taste all of these different ingredients. And I'd be like, uh -huh. But what happens when it goes into mom's magic mixing bowl? The end result is good, good. And then mom puts them in the oven and bakes those cookies and you're waiting with eager anticipation, staring into the glass. Are they done yet? Are they done yet? Are they done yet? Not yet, not yet. Be patient. And those cookies come out. They're amazing, right? They're amazing. And you can't have cookies without the bitter elements. You can't. 
You can't have cookies without both the sweet and the not so sweet. And that's how God works in our lives. And, and when we can step back and look at the year in, in a beautiful panoramic view, remember hindsight's twenty twenty, and sometimes we miss the forest for the trees, and we're looking at that tree and saying, man, life stinks right now. But you step back, and you look in retrospect, and you re- review all it is that God did. And you have to come to the conclusion that God ordained this for the purpose of bringing about his glory and my greatest good. So, more your hearts to that. Think about that. Reflect on that. But this I call to mind. God's ordained this situation. And if God's ordained it, I need to be ready to thank him for it. Because it's good. Yes, it's bitter, but it's good. God, thank you for not allowing me to get the promotion that my heart so desperately wanted last year. Because I realized, God, that you were doing something so much bigger than increasing my paycheck. God, thank you for the trial you put me through in my marriage this year because, God, I know that in the midst of that trial, you're doing something so much greater than I could ever possibly imagine. God, you're, you're ready to blow my mind in this coming year. Thank you, God, for what you are doing. God is in it. He's drawing you to himself through it. He desires to refine you in the midst of it. To make you more like Jesus. And he's faithful to put you into situations that leave you utterly helpless. So that you can see the inescapable hand and provision of a sovereign God. Amen? Amen. So grab hold of the truth that God's ordained it. Thank him for it. Forgive those disappointments in your life. Those people who have hurt you and crushed you. Release those debts. Because if God is in it, it's so much bigger than this minuscule failure. Choose not to fixate on all of the ways in which you've been hurt. Release those debts and surrender to the hand of a sovereign God, asking him, God, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? Because God has you in a classroom, right? Are we going to pay attention to the teacher? Or are we going to be distracted? I was a horrible student. I mean, I got good grades, but I was so distracted. I know you probably have a hard time imagining that. I was that kid who would raise my hand and ask to go to the bathroom and disappear for an hour and come back in all sweaty because I chose to go outside and play. That, that was me. I know. And I'm leading your kids. Anyway. But ask God, what are you trying to teach me? Ask God, how can I obey you? Look at that past year and say, God, what are you doing? How can I grow? Think rightly. But this I call to mind. This is a spirit-filled decision of the will to forsake the lies of your own self-preservation and lean into the powerful truths that God will be ever faithful to transform your outlook. It's trusting that God knows what he's doing and how do we think rightly? Some of us are probably sitting there and saying, you know what, Mike, I like what you're saying, but, but how do I get to that point? Is there anything practical that I can sink my teeth into? I'm glad you asked that question because yes, there is. It's gonna be very simple. Catch, confess, claim, force, repeat. Catch your sinful thought or attitude. The moment it enters your brain, when you look back on that disappointment and you're tempted to think in a way that doesn't reflect Jesus, catch it. 
Confess it to the Lord. Say, God, I know this, this thought process is not consistent with the truths of Scripture. I'm going to force my mind to change through the power of the Spirit. I'm going to claim the power of Scripture, and I'm going to rehearse those truths in my mind, whether I need to write them on flashcards, sink them into my phone, do what I need to do to keep them at the ready. And I'm going to repeat it as often as necessary. Jeremiah knew this strategy all too well. The God of heaven would meet him in his trial, and reflecting on this would enable him to rise above his affliction and see the rescue that God had been faithful to prepare for him. Think rightly, brothers and sisters, in this coming year. Next in the text, Jeremiah moves on. Not only does he want them to think rightly, but he also calls all of us as followers of King Jesus to conclude biblically. Or in other words, draw the right conclusions. He says in verse 21, therefore I have hope. But this I call to mind, so I'm choosing to think rightly. And because of what I'm thinking about, the result of that thought process is much hope. It keeps me. It guards me. It protects me. Thinking rightly was meant to anchor his soul to a reality that was so much bigger than his momentary affliction. This reality was that the God of all comfort was and is at the ready to minister in his time of need. What is the basis for all of this realization, this thought process, this conclusion that he's drawing? Well, Jeremiah gives four reasons that jump right out of the text. Reasons for his hope. These are the biblical conclusions that he's desiring for us to tether our hearts to. First thing he says right out of the text. I have hope, Number, first thing, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, verse 22. Why do I have hope? Because God never fails. Even in the midst of my trials, my disappointments, the God of heaven loves me endlessly. Brothers and sisters, anchor your hearts to that as you move into this new year. The steadfast love of the Lord never fails. He loves you endlessly. How can this be? How can the presence, how can the presence of this trial be seen as loving? Well, remember the moorings of your heart. God is doing a work in and through the difficulties for the purpose of refining you and making you more like Jesus. Anything that brings you to the feet of a loving Savior is good. That is the miracle of God's sovereignty in the midst of affliction. His steadfast love truly is unshakable. And it will know no end. What else do we see? What other biblical reasons? Number two, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, verses 22 and 23. So how do we define mercy as we think about this text? Well, oftentimes we think of mercy, we speak in terms of God withholding what we truly deserve, right? And as sinners, we deserve what? Death and hell for how long? All eternity, right? So we think of mercy, that's where our mind immediately goes to. And yes, that is an important aspect of mercy. However, though, we would be remiss if we stopped there in defining this powerful truth. The word mercy is at the center of who God is. 
Remember, as God declared his name to Moses in Exodus, I believe it's 30, chapter 34, he says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will by no means clear the guilty. And he goes on and on and on as he's describing his beautiful name and all of these unfathomable aspects of his character. It's foundational to his existence. And as God revealed himself, here's what he says. And it's critical for us to understand that mercy finds its root in goodness. Literally, you could say, as God's declaring his name to Moses, you could say, God the good, or the good God. His goodness never comes to an end. His immense goodness is new every morning. Are we thankful that it's new every morning? You do not need to rely on carryover from 2022. Just like Israel did not need to rely on yesterday's manna for today's provision. God's God's mercy was new every morning. God stands at the ready with each new day to minister his goodness in the midst of your crippling disappointment. And as 2022 comes to a close with all of its failures and its frustrations, what do you have to look forward to in 2023? Well, God's immense goodness is waiting for you. It's waiting for you. And that doesn't mean that everything's going to be rosy in 2023. His immense goodness is going to come in a variety of different shapes and sizes, and usually in the form of trial. The question is, are we we in tune with what it is that he's doing, and do we see it? This brings us to the third reason for hope for a bright future. He says, great is his faithfulness, verse 23. People will never cease to fail you. Situations will never cease to let you down. The resources of this world will never cease to come up short. And yet, in the midst of this dismal picture, our hearts are still tethered to hope. Why? Great is his faithfulness. His faithfulness is immense. It's beautiful. The solution may not look like what we anticipated. Deliverance may not be the absence of trial and conflict, and it usually isn't. So where do I witness this immense faithfulness? We see this beautiful truth fleshed out in Psalm 139, one of my favorite texts in all of Psalms, where David is writing and he, he, he is penning these words and, and he's sharing his heart. And the reality is that God has truly, in fact, hemmed us in. His hand is beneath us and above us and around us and behind us, and he is carrying us through the trials in a way that only he could do. To the point that the psalmist beautifully writes these words, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take up the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there will your hand lead me, and your right hand will hold me. Trial reminds me of the fact that his hand is ever close, that God is faithful. His goodness is all around us so that we will see that he is, in fact, the treasure. He isn't the means to obtaining a treasure. He is the treasure. He is 
the end. He is the means to that end. His desire is that you would find your heart fully satisfied and anchored in him because he is so immensely good. This brings us to the fourth reason that Jeremiah had hope in God. The Lord is his portion, verse 24. We don't talk like this very much anymore, do we? We don't use this kind of expression. The Lord is my portion. What does it mean? Well, I think it's simple. The eternally existent one, Yahweh, is ever-present. The Lord is. He doesn't say the Lord was. He doesn't say the Lord will be, though he will and he was. The Lord is. This is critical. We must remember this truth. While it's true that God will, in fact, be faithful in the future, he is ever faithful now to do what only he can do. Why? Because he's the great I am. Remember Moses saying, who who am I going to tell the people sent me? Tell them I am has sent you. I am? I am that I am. Everything you need, I am. And as we carry that forward into the New Testament, we see Jesus expressing this to us, helping us to understand that he is the light of the world. You know, when when I look ahead and I'm like, man, the the path is dark and I, I don't know where I need to go. I don't, need, I don't know what I need to do. I don't know what steps I need to take. Well, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Cry out to him for guidance, for direction. He is the light of the world. When I'm staring down the barrel of death's dark valley and my heart is breaking over all it is that I'm going through, remember that he is my good shepherd. He will carry me. He will sustain me. He will lead me to this place of peace and comfort, and joy, and healing, and restoration. He is the living water. You know, when I, when I go drinking other things other than water, my soul is still thirsty, my heart is still thirsty, yet when I run to that well that never runs dry, and I fall down on my face, and I realize that, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't bring honor to the well by, by lugging my pail of murky liquid and pouring it into the well. That's not how I bring honor to it. No, I honor the well by by feeling thirsty and running to it and dropping to my knees and drinking freely. And that's what he desires for us to find in him, recognizing that he is the living water. And when I drink, my soul is satisfied. And I go, ah, that's worship, right? Then I go on in the strength that the well provides. That's ministry. That's service. That's outreach. That's gospel. That's what God desires for all of us. He is my portion. He is my living water, my bread of life. He is my vine. He is my sustaining power, he says. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is my Savior. Praise God. As we look ahead to this coming year. Anchor our hearts in that. Draw the right conclusions. Therefore, I have hope. Why do I have hope? Because of all that he is. He is all you will ever need, brothers and sisters. And as you look ahead to this coming year, don't chase after cheap counterfeits. Don't set 
all of your priorities on the, the silly things of this world, such as wealth. <laughs> Man, I really want to make more money this year. Man, I really want to buy that vacation house that I've always been dreaming of. Man, do I really want to this, that, and the other. And, and you put together your lists of things that are cheap, counterfeits. And what happens at the end of it all? It fades away to wood, hay, stubble, dust. It's gone. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Set your priorities for this coming year on the things that last. And pray that God would guide you to them. Pray that God would help you to love his word more richly this year. Pray that God would reveal himself to you in an immense way. Pray that God, this is a scary prayer, but pray that God would do whatever it takes in your life to strip away the idols in your heart so that all, of your, all that you're left with is, is a realization of, of yourself and Almighty God. Pray that he does that this coming year. I promise you, when you get to the point where you are at the absolute end of yourself, you are going to find a joy that passes human understanding. And unless you've been there, you don't see it. But commit to praying that God would do that. Don't chase after cheap counterfeits. Rather, set your hope on God, the God of all comfort and care, and trust that he will ever be faithful to meet your needs. He has the power to fill your bank account. He has the power to drain it, right? He has the power to change your priorities. He has the power to give you the stuff of this earth. He has the power to break that stuff. My family, we, we always say this. God has the right to break his things. Some years he breaks more than others. But you know, God is faithful. It's just stuff. Keep that perspective. Fix your mind on what it is that God is doing. Learn to lean into him and you will know the joy and the peace that passes human understanding. And this brings us to our third and final point here this morning. As Jeremiah first sought to think rightly and then from those thoughts draw the right conclusions, he comes to his third and final point, which we see in verses 25 and 26. Let's look at these together. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. It is, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So our third and final point, very simple. Wait expectantly. Wait expectantly. What does this look like? Well, waiting involves recognizing your tendencies to control. Recognize your tendencies to control and forsake them. Not every problem calls for me to fix it. Whether I am naturally a controller of people or a controller of circumstances, my passion to be in charge gets in the way of God's mercy in the midst of my affliction. I need to see it. I need to confess it. And brothers and sisters, this is just honest confession before you here this morning. The pastor that stands before you this morning is naturally, in his flesh, a control freak. I know, right? I saw, I saw one jaw go down. No, I, I'm a control freak. I struggle with it. I battle with it. I battled with it my whole life. I can be very obsessive. I can be very domineering. Ask my kids if you want an honest confession. I, I struggle with it. 
And you know, I, I wrestle with being a people pleaser. And for years, my life consisted of me doing whatever I needed to do to get the response that I needed to get to achieve my own personal goals. And people and relationships in my life were merely means to an end. And I would manipulate my way through relationships, dishonestly communicating and, and, and seeking to leverage those relationships to help me get ahead. And it wasn't until God broke the back of my own dependence on myself that I was able to see just what a wretch I truly was. You know how he did it? He yanked, the rug, he yanked the rug right out from under me, took away my job, took away my means of provision, allowed me to go through one of the hardest trials I've ever been through my whole life, living off of food stamps, struggling to make ends meet in one of the most expensive cities in the country, not sure how it was going to work. I mean, we had some weird, we had some weird meals during that time. It was a food pantry diet. Whatever we got in the pantry was what we ate, and one week, it was a case of canned salmon, right? Breakfast was canned salmon. Lunch, canned salmon. What's for dinner? Canned salmon. Yum. Got to love it. You know, but, but you know what? I think that the whole point I'm trying to make is when I'm willing to recognize my propensity to control, then and only then can I confess it before God and learn to wait Learn to wait. Learn to be patient. Learn to trust. Learn to find my satisfaction in him, you know, and have those conversations. We had those conversations as a family. Like, I don't know what it's going to be this week, but we're just trusting God that whatever it is, it's going to be good. And it took a while for God to begin to do that work in my heart, but I'll tell you, there's been so much joy, so much joy. But not only that, learn to rest. Remember that there may be more to do after you've prayed. But there is never anything to do until you've prayed. Understand that? There may be more to do after you've prayed, but there's nothing to do until you've hit the deck and prayed. Allow prayer to be your first pursuit versus your last-ditch effort. We're going to have an opportunity to lean into that as we approach our tax returns. And we could look at it and say, what are my goals for this year? No, God, what do you want me to do this year? What are the ways in which you want to use your resources for the honor and glory of King Jesus? How will you use me? Learn to pray. Lean into it. Paul states in Philippians, stop being anxious. Quit your worry about 2023. Relinquish your perceived rights. Humble yourself, Peter says, under the mighty hand of God that in due time he would exalt you. How do we do that? Casting all your weights on him because he cares for you. Learn to trust him. Learn to lean into him. Learn to wait for him. Learn to rest in his timing because it is so good. And be on the lookout for his provision and thank him for it. Brothers and sisters, this takes intentionality. This takes intentionality. You know, most of the negative points in my relationships with people centered around circumstances and stemmed from a bad outlook 
on what it was that was going on. And if we can lean into God's provision and learn to see what he's doing in the midst of it, let me give you an example. Okay, some of you know, I can't remember when it happened. Two years ago, we were in a car accident. You were in a car accident? Two years ago? Yeah, a little while ago, one year ago. My wife was in a car accident with her van, totaled the van. Just a total loss. And I remember that moment because I, I remember sitting down with my daughter, Ava, um, and she just said, Daddy, I know God is sovereign, but I don't know why God would allow this to happen because it seems so ugly, Dad. I mean, this just was not good. And, and I remember sitting there and having a conversation with her. She may not remember it. She'll tell me in the car if she remembers that. But I do remember saying, sweetie, I think we're looking at this wrong. Did you ever stop and think how God chose to crush that car? Think about it. He crushed it in such a way that you and mommy and Sydney were cocooned in a perfect way that only God could do. He protected you. He cared for you. He provided for you. Let's give thanks to God for the ways in which he's blessing you in the midst of this trial. Learn to see it, brothers and sisters. Learn to see it. And as you step back and you look at all of the different aspects that fell short in your life in this last year, some of them heartbreaking, most of them probably heartbreaking, look at it and say, wow, God, you allowed my marriage to explode in such an ugly way so that I could be confronted with the depth of my yuck. And when I'm confronted with it, God, you are helping me to grow through it. You're bringing it to the surface. That's what fire was meant to do. Bring it to the surface so that we have clear eyes to look at it in light of scripture and deal with it and grow. That's the process he's bringing us through. God, thank you. Thank you for taking me through this trial. Be on the lookout for his provision. Guide our kids in this pursuit. You know, we can think as parents that we need to shield them from all the garbage that we're going through. But there's another perspective. When you bring them in to the journey, you give them opportunity to grow and mature in their lives. We do them a great disservice when we, we shield them. That doesn't mean you bring them into all of the details of everything that's going on all the time. But it does mean that you help them to see that God is bringing a trial right now. But he's doing it for a purpose. What's that purpose, kids? He's making us more like Jesus. Yes. How is God using this to make us more like Jesus? What are some of the lessons that God would have for us to learn? What are the ways you think in which God is growing you? How do you think God is growing daddy? How do you think God is growing mommy? Let's look at this together. Let's give thanks to God together and journey through it with them. Journey through it with them. Don't waste the trial by hoarding it in silence. Use it as an opportunity to shepherd your kids, shepherd your family, shepherd your wife in this coming year so that we would be more like Jesus. Why do we do all of this? Well, 
It's good that we should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord because he is so immensely good. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful, Lord, for your hand, for your provision, for your care, for your guidance, for your direction, for your love. We're so grateful for the ways in which you show up in our lives. We're grateful, God, for the refining fire that you put us through. In the midst of it, it hurts. But Lord, we know that the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. His mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is great. Therefore, our soul finds its rest in him. I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to cling to that this morning. Help us to love it. Help our souls, God, to rest in it. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for his willingness to reveal the emotion in his heart. Help us now, I pray, as we go our separate ways after singing, God, to bring honor and glory to Jesus and keep him first in all that we pursue in this coming year. For it's in Jesus' name we pray these things and for his glory, amen.